Hey there, welcome to Non-Fungible Human with Dr. Owais Durrani, where we chat with thought leaders, influencers, and newbies at the intersection of Web 3.0, the blockchain, NFTs, and life. Obviously, I want to talk about Acor, which you are the CEO of, and you know, kind of your experiences and things that you've noted, um, kind of in the later part of 2022 and where we're at right now. But I was kind of looking at your profile and I saw that you worked at the CDC and in developing some technologies there and whatnot. I'd, I'd love to kind of hear more about your work there and if we could start there, if that's okay with you. Yeah, certainly. In many ways, my my time at the CDC really was formative, highly formative in in two kind of two areas. One was, you know, more or less as, as you kind of alluded, your understanding or deep understanding of what's going on in healthcare uh, and, and how so many things are broken and, and really just how profligate, how wasteful in every context, not just economically, the industry is. I think my eyes really were open during my time at the CDC. I think just being there on the inside of course, in that in that role, you know, the federal with the federal context, dealing with states and localities, and and really across the board, I just understood so much more than I probably was aware of or, or really deeply interested in uh, before. Uh, that was the second. That was the first thing. Second thing was was really this this uh, you know kind of thinking that there was an opportunity, particularly with, with some of the new innovative technologies. Yeah, certainly there was a lot of talk about AI, but but to me the, the, the big aha was was that there is a data issue. There is a siloed data issue and AI, machine learning, all these other things, ultimately their efficacy, you know, is dependent on the training data set and whether or not you know it's available, whether or not, you know, is is the data is is basically near real time or or, or it's not old data. Let's put it that way. The, the data can be can be relied upon on, on kind of making predictions and really whether or not that ultimately data could be trusted. Could, could you really know where the data was coming from and, and, and whether or not there was something else that was, you know, perhaps more relevant. And a lot of that really kind of ultimately brought it back to this concept of, well, how do we in a, in a kind of a decentralized world, right? Because certainly the CDC, you know, as you know, well, is by no means the owner of this data, right? The data is coming from States really own it, but they're, they're coming from all kinds of different sources. How do we know? I mean, first of all, where is the data? Where is it coming from? And, and how can we systematically and, and really computationally determine these things? Because if we can't, you're back in the world that actually we're in right now, which is that everything is inefficient. You know, everything is, is really, there's a lot of uh, kind of redundant work twice, three times, four times, five times or more, we're touching the same data. Uh, sometimes, many times actually that, that data is, is you know, on, on different forms that, that nobody can really agree to or even on fax paper and things like this. So, so fundamentally, it really kind of opened my eyes on, on how do we address the heart of the problem, which is we know that data is siloed. There's no way the data is gonna be in one gigantic data lake as example. That's a silly concept. But, but, but knowing that the data is silent, how do we still find a way to, to create the pathways that can be trusted and, and the interoperability for, for the software and the data to, to really kind of be able to access each other and, and, and do it in a way that's, that's efficient. So that, that was the epiphany. That was really kind of what I 
I would say really learned during my time. And, and since then, I've been really motivated by, I think the opportunity, I think that there's an opportunity, big opportunity for us, people like myself, yourself, other kind of both, you know, energetic people, but also informed people in this space, you know, who are willing to kind of go beyond the surface level of, of the initial tension, the initial, I guess, resistance, because there's a lot of that, you know, inertia, if you like, whatever word of choice. And, and see that there's there really is plenty we could do because honestly the, the barriers of entry for innovation are pretty low, you know. I, there's a like I mentioned the industry is is I mean it's, it's astounding that it keeps running the way it is because so much money goes into it and it's so so poorly run, so inefficient. The in most industries are competitive, you know, like financial services. You would I mean like it just would never work. Uh, yet somehow, you know, we use this crutch in the U.S. that, well, it's, you know, it's, it's health data or, or, well, it's regulated. Well, you know, I mean, construction is regulated, education is regulated. There's so many other industries that are regulated. So uh, in, in a cynic way, then, <laughs> really, the, the learning was was kind of a deep, much, much deeper understanding of the, the problems, but also really kind of a much bigger insight on where some innovations can help. And that's been the focus since then and, and trying to really kind of, in some cases, like yourself, I'd imagine swimming upstream to try and make make some changes because this is not the easiest topic, you know, for people to, to absorb or put their mind around. You know, certainly in the world of crypto, as example, you know, pe- people gravitate towards things like you know, cryptocurrencies or, or DeFi, things like this. It's, it's more intuitive and, and there's, there's like a thousand derivations of it. You know, whereas with healthcare, they always know that there is a there is a real life element. This is not you're not just making it up as you go, right? You're not making up your cryptocurrency as you go. There, there's a whole massive analog world that they have to interact with. You know, but which includes people like yourself, right? You have real real healthcare practitioners and physicians and people who have massive burden of, of administration and dealing with insurance and you know all these other things that, that are real life that we can't just like magically kind of like, you know, just 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 reinvent by, by basically saying we're going to ignore all those things, right? We can't just create like a like a decentralized exchange and, and just remove all physicians and, and, you know, insurance companies out of the mix. Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, you, you alluded to, it's crazy, you know, every year we get like a r- world ranking of stats on maternal mortality or this or that, and we're always definitely not near the top in the middle in some cases and at the bottom in others. And we just keep humming along like everything's okay. So it's it's frustrating, but I'm, I'm glad that we're having these conversations and whatnot. So it seems like at the CDC, obviously, you gained a really, really deep understanding of these inefficiencies and these issues that we are dealing with. And then you obviously in your current role um, as CEO of Acor, you know, deal with blockchain, creating tools that, you know, fix inefficiencies and issues and whatnot. How, what, how did you make that transition into, I guess, a, a role that is full-time in the blockchain world and realizing that this may be the thing that, you know, is able to seal some of the, these leaks and take us forward rather than other solutions out there? Again, I was fortunate the CDC, I, I had a very good boss and, and I was really brought in with with the I guess the remit to to help modernize a lot of the scientific applications and and, and to the credit of all the folks that, that brought me on and, and and the folks that continue to support me they, they allowed me to to kind of with a very small team really handpicked team to to kind of I guess 
at an architectural level trying to address certain things, right? You know, as opposed to just one application at a time, because you know that, that really would have been a drop in the ocean. Well, we had to fundamentally think about how do you build interoperable systems, how do you decide data? But one of the things that kind of started right there at the CDC uh, it was this idea that you know blockchain technology, and honestly, I, I still to this day firmly believe it that you know in public health. And I think COVID was a very, very good example of this. But, but almost anything with, with the context of public or with the specific prefix, public, this, this idea that, that you need to kind of bring data that, that you can, because blockchain doesn't, there's no data on, on blockchain. It's, it's really a, a form of, of, it's a ledger of, of showing transaction flow, right? Uh, and suddenly I wouldn't advocate putting health data on it or public health data and things like this. But bottom line though was, was we know again, COVID was is a very good example that public health events they they really occur across different uh, all kinds of boundaries, uh, time zones, physical boundaries, uh, geopolitical boundaries across the world, and they impact really everybody. You know, and, and in a kind of a context, it's really really important that you you make the data accessible as quickly as possible. You you prove that the data is legitimate, it's going from legitimate sources, and then. You, you allow the good people at, at the CDC or other places, you know, the, the uh, epidemiologists or data analysts to actually do their work. Because again, as you probably already noticed, many times these folks are spending months, well, weeks, if not months, on just doing basic clean cleaning of data and scrubbing of data and, and aggregation of data. Things that are really of very low value add in, in the context of being an epidemiologist, right? They're, they're, they're the kind of things that, you would expect circa 2022 or 2017 or whatever that that are just done. And in fact, in most industries, they're they're done. And you don't you're not going to have expensive, you know, kind of highly coveted specialists spend like 80 percent, 70 percent of their time just basically doing data jockeying on, on Excel, which is a real. I mean, it's a real scenario. So all to say that kind of thinking that that really blockchain can help and and this this silo problem that I described. Then the next couple of years after I left the CDC was fortunately, unfortunately, I, I was in, in the world of CROs and pharmaceuticals and, and dealing with the other side of it, you know, and dealing, dealing with you know things like uh, you know, how, how does stuff get to the FDA and how do they approve and, and, and this whole EROMS law of the epiphany that, that there's this thing called the EROMS law and 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 then the, the the inverse, you know, kind of disproportionate, you know, kind of lack of effectiveness of, of drug development over the last 50, 60 years versus Moore's law, right? And and because I, I was intuitively aware of, of Moore's law being a being a technologist. So that kind of those experiences really led me to to think, all right, fundamentally in healthcare, we know that, that, that there are application software and things that are built really to, to meet very, very limited audiences. You know, sometimes it's, it's just like healthcare administrators or it's only not for for like the ease of, of use for a physician, as example, like yourself, or for interaction with patients or patient engagement or, or patient incentivization, or or frankly, anything that, that you would expect to see on, on a smartphone these days, which is really where all of us are, right? And that's all of us exist, I think it's fair to say. And, and not just here in the US, in fact, you could say, you could argue that in places like Africa, it's even higher, it's a much higher Kind of degree of, of connectedness to smartphones, right? You know, and, and so it's a global thing. So in that kind of a context, people expect 
design experiences, you know, de dealing with applications. And none of that really is, you know, or very little of that is, is the case in, in today's healthcare in the US. So, and that was my point about the, the barriers to entry to innovation really being relatively low, right? Versus as, as example, if I wanted to build another, let's say uh, social media, like, like an alternative to Instagram, right? Well, okay, going back to Eram's law, the better than the Beatles scenario, right? You know, so it's like, okay, well, that barrier to entry is very, very high. So, so how do you really differentiate? So bottom line that then really was just this idea that we can build better, more usable technologies and, and, and software that, that meets actual users' needs, physicians or patients, right? We can make that experience seem much more mainstream to, to what they are now and less burdensome. And also along the way, we can essentially... I'm going to say instill, but it's really like bed in technologies behind the scenes, like blockchain, that, that help you believe or, or you know, using uh, cryptography, allow you to kind of know more about the authenticity of the data, you know, the source of the data, whether or not you could actually trust what, whatever it is that you're getting. So th that was it. That, that's kind of, and then that's really what we've done over, over the, the course of the last few years with ACOR, you know, is, is build what we think is, is, largely usable technologies, technologies that kind of meet the purpose in a modern way, you know, cheaper, faster, real time, but, but really kind of more or less behind the scenes, build in blockchain type technologies or, or, or integrate blockchain type technologies to prove that, you know, we're not manipulating data, that, that whatever data we're showing is, is actually the source data from where we, we got it, you know, and, and, and just simple things like to prove that, that a transaction actually did occur that they, you know you and I did speak at you know 5 15 p.m eastern time on the 8th of November and, and, and proved that now now what did we speak about well that's the data that's, that's sitting on a private database and we're not going to expose that right we're not going to expose you know some, some some patients healthcare information or observations about a particular treatment and that 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 would obviously violate HIPAA but but it makes no sense to do that so, so that's kind of that's the thinking and that's what we've been doing and and you know we're you know, I, again, I think in many ways we're we're still really at the beginning of this because the rhetoric, and I, and I think you talked about this you know, a few years ago with NFTs and before that with ICOs, the rhetoric about blockchain and, and healthcare has been around for a number of years now, but the evidence of it and people actually like putting their their money where the mouth is, people like us and swimming upstream like like your, yourself, very little evidence of that right, and very little kind of real uh, you know kind of production quality, high scale applications built. And, and honestly, and, and some of this is really just a factor of, of learning things and, and understanding certain technologies don't actually meet the purpose. Like good people building technologies and on underlying platforms, such as, you know, maybe, maybe it's Ethereum, you know, um, which really just, it, it doesn't pass certain criteria such as economic viability. Is fine for proof of concept, right? Yeah, it works. You know, you can data sample, you, you can do some token economics, but but in reality, you can't scale it because it's just too expensive. It's too slow. It's, it's you know, the, the the getting to finality of transactions takes too much time. So so it kind of becomes like shelfware. You know, yes, you proved a general concept, but in reality, it didn't move the needle.
Yeah, without a doubt. And I, I definitely want to go over some of the uh, use cases you, you guys have on your website. The, and that's one of the things I really liked when I went to the AFR website. You guys give tangible examples of, you know, academic institutions, governments that you've worked with. A lot of organizations, you go to their site or you go to their kind of platforms and it's just like these vague, broad statements that are feel good, but there's very little tangible. And so I definitely want to go into those. But one thing you alluded to was you obviously don't want to put patient health data on the blockchain. And, you know, with blockchain, obviously one of the amazing things about it is it's public and that it's, you can confirm transactions or facts like we had this conversation, but at the same time, it's very secure. And so I guess my question is when you are going into conversations with like an academic institution or a state or local government, is there a lot of, to those who are naive when it comes to blockchain and kind of where, where things are going, is there like a lot of initial pushback or when you kind of explain what's public, what's not, having a key to access certain information, do folks kind of come around to it pretty quickly? What are those conversations like, I guess? Uh, You know, I I mean, I don't think there is a singular pattern. What I would say though is when we talk to almost all of our clients, you know, it's only in the context of healthcare, our focus is is on the functionality that, that we're either they want or, or we, we have, such as our, our Hashlock product, where we do data visualization and aggregation. And, and you've seen it perhaps for, for instance, where we visualize clinical trials like gov, right? And, and make it easier. So what we're really trying to emphasize is our ability to manage large-scale data, our ability to understand, you know, for instance, public health data, HL7 and, and utilities to transform it to machine readable and make it more kind of just, just more purposeful and, and, and make it easier to get things done. And then what we do is, is really we almost, I'm going to say, it'll sound a little bit flippant, but forgive me. I'm going to say we're going to, we basically throw in the blockchain element. We basically say, look, and, and you may have seen some examples of this uh, you know, on, our, on our site and other places. You know, we also have, you know, just just as part of what we do, because of this, this belief that, that, we really need to kind of show authenticity of, of, of data as example and transactions. We also have this button, you know, that's, that's like a green button that says verify. So whenever you see it, what that really means is we have data sent, any transaction, any, any data, like if you see a date on it, you know, it says uh, last updated on you know, November 8th at this time, we have actually in real time when that transaction occurred, we basically put an encrypted reference of it on a public blockchain on Hedera, you know, in our case, right? Now, what, what does that mean to them? I mean, largely, I think once they kind of understand how we've done it, we'll prove that, that this is how it works and some magic and there's a there's a public ledger. And if you wanted to look at every like detail of the transactions out there, what they, they really kind of gravitate towards is once they see that green verified button, they feel like, okay, I can really trust and rely on, on this information. So, so their experience is one where it's an implicit higher degree of confidence about whatever else they're getting, you know, like the visualizations or, or if we're doing some machine learning on the data, things like this. So that's our general, and the, the word that I use is abstraction, that we abstract blockchain. So we, we don't really try and overtly kind of like, like make it a thing, you know, and, and kind of talk about, and certainly we don't get into things like, well, this is, this is our, how we deal with, with wallets and how, how we deal with, you know, with key custodianship or, or, you know, token economics or anything like this. 
unless that's what the client actually wants and they're, they're sophisticated enough to want it. So, so at, at, at like the most basic level, it's really like an abstraction layer that, that we have baked in. We always prove it, but we try not to harp on blockchain as, as being like this thing. It's more like, here's the solution you want. And blockchain really is an additional bonus just, just from our perspective, because we really believe that no matter, you know, kind of what kind of things you did with our application, we want to prove that, that we're not manipulating the data, that there's not, not we don't have some kind of a ciphering or, or whatever data that we have access to from whatever source we can prove is flowed thereafter. You know, and, and of course, this is, this is a very, very important thing to, to understand, I'm sure you do, is that proving authenticity of, of data flow is different than proving that the data is accurate. So, so if, you know, as an example, on my health record, you know, my, my healthcare provider, if, if somebody goes in and I've gone there for physical today and they, you know, transpose, you know, my, on a blood pressure, as an example, they put in the wrong number. Well, on the blockchain, we, we can prove forever that that information was recorded, but we can't prove if that information is accurate. But 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 therein though is there's still a significant advantage because if, if you see anomalies, you know, again through machine learning or whatever, you can go back and say, well, was this was this real information? Did this really happen, or is this fake information? Is this somehow manipulated by some you know interested parties or whatever? So, but bottom line though, this is the kind of conversation we have is is helping people understand that look, you know, in fact, and you know this, I'm sure, you know, with with HIPAA and, and with Cures Act and such. Many times we don't, what we have access to in terms of like patient data, as example, is really in memory. You know, we have read access from, from the original source, like an epic, you know, EMR, EHR, you know, through a patient's consent. But we don't, we certainly don't like copy the data, or we don't, we don't displace it, or we don't write on it. There's there's a whole lot of other, you know, kind of systems and things that, and, and a process compliance process for it. So, so you know, in our kind of world, we're really just trying to kind of assure our clients that, look, we're not trying to say that through this blockchain or, or technologies that they were working with, that we're going to create some gigantic proprietary database. You know, we're, we're not, we don't want to create another silo. We don't want to create our own index. Like we don't want to become like the next, you know, I'm not going to mention names, but you know, there are plenty, plenty of aggregators who buy data or kind of, and then they create their own index. So now you become beholden to them, right? You, you, you they kind of become, you're coupled to them. That is the absolute last thing we want to do. We want to say the data exists in whatever systems. We're, we're providing you a, a kind of a more trustworthy view of it. And then if you give us consent, we synchronize it on, on your app of choice or on our app or whatever. But, but we definitely don't want to create another fiefdom and another like index of, of data. And, and, and that's why we, you know, going back to the, the whole public ledger, that's why we really believe in using a public ledger. And as an example, if we're using an NFT, non-fungible token to reference consent of a patient, we want that, that, that NFT to be on a public ledger. So, you know, ACOR disappears overnight or, you know, whatever. I mean, anything could happen. They could still go to that public ledger using their their APIs or, or the SDK and and retrieve and, and look at that information. And you're not tied to us as a vendor, right? You're not tied to us as we're not coupling ourselves to some proprietariness that then later on you're like, well now that, that just created more silos. So that's that's the thinking that we have is really abstracted, uh, a focus on, on, on the, the real functions 
and, and as much as we can assure our, our clients that the, the data itself is wherever it needs to be. We're just going to allow people with consent to get to it because like certainly with Cures Act, with Cures Act, they have, they have the right. They have the right to get to their data. You know, and that's really it. And that, and that makes complete sense. I have no idea how Wi-Fi works or how credit cards work, but I use them because it's, it, it works and I have a certain degree of trust in those systems. And so what, what you're saying makes complete sense. It's not because of the blockchain that they might want to use your service or your tools or your apps, but it's because it works and it provides fidelity that they're going to want to use it. So I, I, I like how you put it, you know, blockchain is kind of sprinkled on there and obviously it's verified and everything, but it's not the thing that you harp on over and over again, kind of, you know, looking at some of the tools that y'all have created and have done work around a few of them stuck out to me. So I'm just going to mention them. And if you could tell me, you know, one on one of them or all of them, how the blockchain component of it may have made this, you know, more efficient, better, or if it changed it at all. And, you know, the, the number one thing that stood out to me was you, you did some work around opioid related mortality with the state, I believe. And obviously that's a huge, huge issue. And a, a lot of times we forget about it, but, you know, on a day-to-day basis, especially in the ER, obviously it's, it wreaks havoc on so many lives. And so that was something that stood out. Obviously um, I saw uh, y'all did some work around diagnostics um, and triage when it came to COVID-19 and then uh, clinical research as well. And so maybe pick one of them or two of them or all of them. And if you could kind of go into how the blockchain component of it may have changed how this may have been done, say 10 years ago, five years ago, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. So the one that's honestly closest to my heart is the first one that you mentioned is, is tracking mortality due to substance abuse, opioid abuse. It is a huge issue. I mean, you know, this better than I do, of course. You deal with it in real life, you know, and I just talk about it from a technology perspective. But, but it's something that certainly when I was at the CDC, I came across, you know, and, and of course, before COVID, you know, it, it was a massive, it was probably, probably the, I don't want to overstate, but in the, the, the view that I had, it was the, the biggest public health issue that the U.S. had, you know, was dealing with. And I think in the 20 years since the turn of the century, that there were over a million people had died from opioid and substance abuse. Uh, and I, I don't know what the numbers are right now, but, but of course, COVID took, certainly took the attention of everyone over the last couple of years. But that problem has not disappeared. And, and you know, and, and unfortunately, it, it still is highly pervasive. So bottom line, working with, with, with a real, like with, with real practitioners. So the Office of the Medical Examiner, you know, state of Alabama, Jefferson County, the forensic pathologist, people who are literally working on this, working basically, you know, kind of doing autopsies on, on people who have died and, and they care about this. And then looking, allowing them to very easily look at data, visualize that data, and for them to just kind of see and discover things uh, really kind of at times spontaneously, for instance, looking at, at, you know, kind of heart and brain size of people who have died due to fentanyl substance abuse and comparing that to, to published literature and realizing that it's, it's markedly bigger, right, in both cases. And just, just through the, our technology, just, just through the fact that we can visualize and make it very, very easy for them to dice and splice that, that information without needing any kind of programmer or, or any kind of like database specialist. That was huge, and and so in that kind of context, really, the the we we basically just embedded a DLT or or you know blockchain and and Hedera Hashgraph was or is the technology that we use, 
but but really all it does, you know, it, it kind of provides them that that green verified check mark. So it's very, very subtle. There's no overt kind of appearance of blockchain, which is really what we love. And, and, and this is really kind of fundamentally, and I, I think we can talk about this all day at, at the free conversation, but fundamentally how you implement DLTs is critical in the experience that you want to impute to, to your software, to your applications. So the way we want to impute the experience is one of a real-time application where the focus is on whatever the functional thing is that you're doing. So for instance, you know, in real time, being able to like look at various data from different sources, including, for instance, autopsy and, and death case information, which by the way, the system that we built for state of Alabama is, is literally the only system, I think in all the US, where autopsy information and case information and emissioning of, or, or rather, transposing of, of law enforcement information all is all in one place. It's all like contiguous. It looks like it's one database, but in reality, I can, we can prove this to you. It's like seven or eight different data sources all kind of in one place. But, but the real point though is, is all of that is working in real time. And you, you click on it, it refreshes, it's very, very quick, very responsive. Yet behind the scenes, we're kind of like every time there's a change to the data, every, every time there's a transaction, like an auditable transaction, we are recording an encrypted reference to it on a public ledger. So, so, so we love that. We love the fact that it's all kind of working uh, and yet we're able to show the, the auditability, the, the, the transparency and the compliance when and where needed on demand, but it's just happening behind the scenes. All, all like, like literally tens of thousands of transactions are being anchored you know, on a public ledger, but really nobody knows about it and nobody needs to know about it until such time as they care to know about it. So, so that, that's the that's one that that's, I'm, I am most, you know, I like personally kind of vested in and I think it actually really moves the needle because, because I've seen, unfortunately, what we, we have all seen the alternative of how it's done. Uh, how like, th this is now where, where unfortunately innovation has, has not really kind of uh, appeared in, in this world of, of kind of death mortality tracking or, or, or aggregation of, of of, uh, you know, for instance, and really almost any kind of substance abuse and, and like factual data, such as, you know, when he died and autopsy and things like this. So very close to my heart. And of course, it goes back to a lot of our CDC kind of ideas and things that, that we had come across in, in, you know, at the CDC context. So that's that's one. The clinical research one, the third one that you mentioned is, is I think, a huge opportunity for really two, I would say, very kind of mundane reasons. Reason, mundane reason number one, th there's a huge amount of money in it, right? Massive, but you know this, right? Like, and a huge amount of money across the board, uh, but but everybody for, for public good, even for the reputation of, of the drug makers, and certainly for the patients, it's better for all of us to be more efficient at this. So, so patient recruitment, you know, is a huge it's really very, very expensive and lengthy and unnecessarily, you know, kind of, you know, difficult process, right? It could be done, it could be more democratized, it could be a lot less intermediaries, it could be done more in a more modern way with, you know, with applications, with, you know, kind of with ethical applications that, that, that do not like, you know, kind of or at, at least provide more inclusion and, and provide more access to the underserved. Yeah, you know, 
It's not a panacea. So, so I think there's a lot of reasons, but but you know, certainly since especially in the US, but so you know, the, the commercial angle is so important. That's that's an easy one, right? The reason number one is it's, it's easy to do this and, and improve the process, even even a little bit of improvement in the, the fitness of the model yields significant results in terms of dollars saved, right? Uh, and, and, and frankly, perhaps years saved on building or, or rather kind of pushing your, your compound through different phases of drug development. And frankly, in some cases, stopping you from doing so because you realize, oh, you know, you're not getting the results that you want early. It's, it's not reproducible. Or the, the, there's somebody like literally a stone's throw from you doing exactly the same thing and they're, they're further ahead of you. So I think that's reason number one. Reason number two, I think, is, is the fact that I believe by doing, by kind of doing this, this putting blockchain, we can we can fundamentally democratize the process. We can fundamentally democratize clinical research. We, we can provide more incentives for patients to directly interact with, with CROs or with sponsors, even to be closer to this, this whole like rhetoric around patient engagement you know, and, and patient orientation, we can actually put some like meat to it and not just like, you know, CEOs, you know, jibber jabbering, but with no results. But, but I think ultimately this is, when we think larger in a larger context of innovation, right? And we saw this for COVID, but COVID was kind of like, you know, like, like uh, we're, we're gonna throw everything behind this. It's a global problem in a massive, massive amount of resources. That's not a sustainable model for every, like, for instance, if you're doing a rare liver cancer drug development um, study, you're not like, like the U.S. government is not going to put $100 billion behind that. So, so, so you have to have some way of innovating around this and, and to become competitive. And I think, I think that's, that's really um, a deal to can significantly help do it because you can, you can connect and access patients more directly. You can incentivize them to engage better. You can incentivize them to, or you can, you can track consent much more accurately and, and, and ethically you can build a community around this. You, you can connect to researchers. You can, you can create marketplaces, aggregate anonymized marketplaces. All of that can be done much more ethically, much more readily, and more, more modern way using a blockchain as an underpinning. So I think those fundamental two reasons that, Lowering of the cost right now, but also fundamentally democratizing the process. Uh, I'm a firm believer that, that that can happen. It's low, but but we're seeing, for instance, with with Vida Dow, where Pfizer's involved, we're seeing that this that even big companies who, who you, you could consider them as as being part of the problem are at least intimating that they don't want to go down this direction. You know, it's low, but so so both of those. You know, I think the. The, the, going back to kind of the, the, the last example you mentioned, I'm not going to get to all the details, but building telehealth applications like the COVID work we did with Mayo. Again, anything telehealth, anytime you're going through an app and, and you know, there's not like, you know, I'm not really talking to you as a physician. This is, and, and particularly when you have machine learning involved, which we did in algorithms, you need to have some way of approving authenticity that, that you really, that your, your, your AI really did look at consented data. It, it really was this within context, not, a, not you didn't take 50 million records from Ascension Health and, and do whatever you wanted to do, right? So, so I think those examples and many are, are, are part of why you would want to do it. And, and again, to us, that's part of the new generation of hopefully more ethical and more accountable innovators in this space. You know, where, where they're kind of at least partially proving 
whatever it is they're, they're saying that they're doing. I, re I really appreciate you going into the details on all of those and kind of like you alluded to the opioid mortality is kind of near and dear to my heart as well, you know, seeing that on a daily basis and seeing that, you know, obviously a lot of resources are being put into it, but I, those of us that deal with it on a daily basis, you want it to be the number one headline every day, but you know, it's like once every six months, a report comes out and then, you know, people kind of put in the rear view mirror kind of thing. So it's, it's nice to see that, you know, tools are being used to, you know, create, you know, breakdown silos and create verifiable, you know, patterns. And then, you know, those, that verification is important when you go to your legislators, when you talk to folks at different organizations, telling them that, Hey, this, these are facts and, you know, they're facts because we can prove it and getting, you know, resources and change off of that. But, you know, thanks so much for, you know, sharing everything that you do. I honestly did learn a whole bunch. All of these conversations are always so much fun and it re-energizes me. And um, I'm excited to see, you know, what, what you keep doing and what ACOR keeps doing and continue this uh, conversation moving forward. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Non-Fungible Human. We are always open to suggestions on who we should have on next, and feedback is always welcome. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. This helps others find the show, and we greatly appreciate it. Until next time, stay healthy, friends, and we'll catch you in the next episode.